Uh, so, so the Bible is a controversial book, wouldn't you agree? If you ask someone, what do you think about the Bible? You're going to get all kinds of different answers, as has been shown here on the screen. People feel all kinds of different things about it. Sometimes people access the Bible when they feel bad. Sometimes people access the Bible out of curiosity. Sometimes they access it because there's some kind of occasion coming up where they've been asked to read something. Sometimes it just goes and sits on the coffee table for years and isn't opened and accessed, but it's still there. And after 2,000 years, Jesus leading us and the scriptures being developed, the Bible is still there. Why is that book still around? If that book didn't have truth in it, if it didn't have God's power in it, if it didn't have some purpose and meaning, why do we still have them? Why do we still have 50-pound Bibles? Why do we still have apps that address the Word of God in a convenient, technological way? Well, that's what we're going to dig into a little bit here this morning. And I'd ask you to just pray with me, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you for giving us something to read in every language known to humanity, something that reveals stuff to us that we didn't know before. And what was read in the scripture there a few minutes ago was really enlightening, that the Bible and the word of God itself is really mainly for two purposes. And one of those is to make us wise for salvation or to understand how salvation through Jesus, through faith in Jesus works, and also to teach us what to do with ourselves after we come in contact with Jesus or around the idea of being your children following Jesus. So God, as we get into this, we just ask that you would equip us with some, not only some knowledge, but some passion about this word, because it is such uh, a, a pivotal piece of literature. Uh, so we ask that you just come and instruct us not only in our heads, but also in our hearts this morning uh, about what it took to put that book together and to make it what it is today. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, and we are, of course, uh, as we've said, uh, right up toward the end of the series next week, where we're going to be talking next week about can we know God personally? And today uh, we're focusing on the Bible's reliability and the idea that we can trust it. That's really what reliability means, isn't it? If you've got a friend who's reliable, then what does that friend do? That friend shows up when you need that friend around. That's what reliable means, right? So is the Bible the kind of piece of literature that shows up when you need it? Is it there and is it meaningful and is it active and does it do something? Well, we've talked about a couple of Bible facts. Uh, v mentioned that there were 66 books. She's right on target. 39 of those in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. It was authored by 40 different people. It took about 15 to 1600 years to write. You can see some facts up on screen. And if you're listening by podcast, uh, the number of chapters in the Old Testament is 929. Chapters in the New Testament is 260. Total chapters, of course, 1189. And as you look through all the different types of literature in the Bible, you're going to find thousands of questions, thousands even more of commands, a little more than 1,200 promises in Scripture, and then thousands of prophecies. 
And in particular, as you look back in, in uh, the Psalms and in some of the Old Testament scriptures, you're going to find some really neat and interesting facts, including the longest chapter being uh, Psalm 119, and then two Psalms before it is the shortest chapter in the Bible. So what does that make Psalm 118? Just Psalm 118. There's nothing special about it. It's just, Psalm, it's just between them. But the longest and the shortest happen to be right next to each other around it. Then in Job is the uh, shortest verse in the Bible. Of course, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, what's the shortest verse in the New Testament? Jesus wept. Two words, right? And then the longest verse, Joshua 8, 33, as we said. How many languages are in the Bible? You've got three. There are Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Greek and Aramaic are mainly going to be in which of the two sides of the Bible? In the New Testament. Those are going to be the language of the day, kind of like English or Spanish might be today. And then mainly you've got Hebrew in the Old Testament. But what we're going to focus on today is the idea of prophecy. Now, if you've ever had any kind of emotional experience while reading the Bible before, uh, this hopefully will take that experience for you in the future up a few notches. Because where the Bible comes to life is hinged around the idea of prophecy. And it's not just the idea of prophecy for itself, that God made prophecies at some time in the past. The idea that makes prophecy powerful and pivotal when you're talking about the use of the Bible is how. If a prophecy comes true, then you know that you can trust the one who made the prophecy. For example, if you go see a doctor about an issue you're having and the doctor diagnoses your issue and then gives you a prognosis, which means here's what to expect in the future with this issue and renders a diagnosis and then writes you a prescription. If he writes you a prescription, then he's giving you medicine and he's expecting the medicine to do what for you? to bring healing to you or to help your issue, right? Now, in some cases, doctors know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what to prescribe for an issue that they've diagnosed and they give you the right medicine. But in some cases, doctors don't know what the issue is in its entirety and how it's going to play out in your life. They cannot prophesy how that issue is going to turn out in your life. Some people get cancer and heal from it and are cured from cancer. Some people die from cancer. Doctors can only predict so far into a person's issue with cancer and try to treat the situation. Prophecy is different. Prophecy either happens or it doesn't. Prophecy is either rendered and completed or it is not. Wouldn't you agree? And the, the magnitude of prophecy basically is weighed out by how uh, intricate the prophecy is and how accurate it is. So if a prophecy comes true, as we said before, you can look back at the one who made the prophecy and trust in whether or not that person's words and what they're saying for you is true. The Bible in and of itself is full of prophecy. And the way prophecy works is it builds a case for the reliability of God's word. 
It builds a case for the reliability of God's word. So if you come to God's word without an understanding of prophecy and how that works, you're going to have questions about the reliability of the Bible. On the back side of that coin, on the flip side of that coin, if you come to the Bible and understand historically, in real physical historical terms, how prophecies have played out in time, then you can begin to trust the whole picture of the Bible and look at the whole of Scripture together and see it as God's Word. God makes His own case for reliability through the Scripture through the medium of prophecy by using prophecy for that particular reason. Watch this. Nice to keep the Bible on my bookshelf between The Lord of the Rings and Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Because to me, the Bible felt like it was a bunch of kind of like spooky stories that kind of fit in with Dracula and kind of fantastic creatures like a talking snake and different things that might fit better in The Lord of the Rings. I then began saying, is this something from God or is it a human being like Bram Stoker who penned a, a story? And what started convincing me, it was a little by little process. I didn't have some sort of overnight like, it's, it's the Bible and it, I believe it all. It mentioned cities, it mentions names, it mentions, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's talking that it's history. And so a big thing for me was to say like, all right, is this mythical or are these places real? And so then I started looking into the historicity of the scriptures and can I have something that's backed up from it? And I started being more and more convinced because you can go to other religious documents and they can't find that as I was comparing a bunch. And so I then began more and more convinced that, boy, there's some solid reasons to trust this, at least that there are names that you can find today in history. There are cities that line up. That was one thing. Then a big question was also, you know, like, I, I assumed that it was so far from what was originally written because how did they, you know, how do we have today what was about, you know, thousands and thousands of years old? And the more I studied this, and that's what I was kind of very overwhelmed with because the more I studied it, a lot of my thoughts of why I didn't want to believe it was from God, I began finding there's plenty of evidence to believe that it is trustworthy. There is a scholar that, uh, his name is Dan Wallace out of Dallas uh, Seminary in Dallas, Texas. And I remember uh, reading things that he wrote that were also talking all about, you know, the, the amount of, he called it a, um, an embarrassment of riches. And I think he called it that there's so many documents they have discovered that will show that that copies of the New Testament, you know, down the road that they can compare them to, it was in the thousands and thousands of them, to then show that we can really believe that what we have in the New Testament is pretty accurate to what was originally written. What I loved about the Bible itself was it said, if a prophecy does not come true, don't trust the one who, who gives it. So it, the Bible itself was even putting itself to a test saying, if what is in here isn't true, get rid of it. The source of it is not from God. And so like, I'm reading that, I'm like, this is fantastic. So if I can find prophecies that were not coming true, then I can dismiss the Bible. And then the more I looked into it, the more I became like, wow, a lot of this is 
did come true, then I began saying, then maybe it's time I put faith in this Jesus because I now kind of have pretty good reasons, rational reasons for believing that the Bible is what it says it is. So for us in particular, we can look back at scriptures that give prophecies and look back at other scripture and find fulfillment of those prophecies. Just scan over the screen for a minute. If you're listening by podcast this morning, we see on the left side of the screen a list of Old Testament scriptures like Isaiah 7, 14 that, uh, that uh, predicts that the Messiah will be virgin born. And you see on the right side of the screen, evidence in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 53, the story of Jesus being born from a virgin. Uh, further on, you see uh, Jesus' ministry in Galilee, talked about in Isaiah 9, and then seeing that carried out in Matthew chapter 4. You see Jesus uh, down at the very bottom of the first part of the screen, silent before accusers. And then how did Jesus take the accusations against him when he was being led to the cross? You see that in Matthew chapter 27. He was silent before them, before them all. Jesus' hands and feet were pierced. You see a prediction of that way back in Psalm 22, down to the intricate detail. And then you see that carried out in John chapter 20, almost exactly to the detail. You see that Jesus was buried in a tomb of a rich person, talked about in, uh, in the Old Testament there as well, and then fulfilled in Matthew chapter 27. And this is just a taste. This is just like appetizers. This is the entry level stuff. If you Google this kind of stuff, you can find this pretty instantly. If you decide to take it seriously and look into the prophecies of scripture, even not using the Bible, but just Googling it, you can find line by line evidence that the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and activation of the church of Jesus Christ is not only predicted, but carried out to the letter. Never once did God mess up in the fulfillment of his prophecies. Never once. Think about how, how much energy, time, and power it takes to have a perfect record at prophecy. Now, there are some predictions that I've made in my own life, like I would predict like what one of my kids would get into and like and enjoy. Maybe about 50% of the time I was accurate. Some of our kids like music. That was a really good prediction. Others of our kids like art. Others of our kids like sports. Sometimes it's predictable and sometimes it's not. But imagine if you could make predictions and you were 100% accurate and never made a mistake. That would be pretty magical, wouldn't it? And what would people do if they knew that you could make predictions about the future and that your predictions would come true 100% of the time? What would people do? They would find you. They would line up outside your door and they would ask you what their future holds because they knew that with someone with a 100% accurate record knows what they're talking about. The case that we're making today is that the Bible is not merely a collection of different genres of literature, which it is, but the Bible as a whole story is about Jesus 
It's about his coming, the way he would come to earth, and the way he would lead us into the future. The leading that he has for us into the future is into the presence of his Father God. And in this life, it is walking with God day by day. That's why the scriptures accomplish two major things. One, they make us understand how we are saved. The Bible never ever makes the case that you have to do something in order to earn the grace of God. Even if portions of the church still believe and teach that, the Bible never teaches that concept. The Bible in completion teaches the idea that God has a perfect and holy standard right up here and that you and I will never measure up to that standard. And then he shows us the one who can. And when he shows us the one who can, he tells us intricately how that person will come and what that person means. That person is Jesus. He is the one in whom we can trust to meet all of God's righteous requirements, the scripture says, of the law. And the way God presents him is through an intricate series of prophecies, the ones that you see here up on the screen. The idea is this, it's, it's laced in the second Peter scripture that we talked about a little bit earlier. Let me read it for you. Second Peter one, starting in t- uh, verse 20, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Imagine the last time you were at the lazy river at a water park and you got in one of those donuts that we were talking about before and you just floated along in the lazy river. Now you could have chosen to paddle in the lazy river, to be an overachiever in the lazy river and get ahead of other people on the lazy river or you could simply just relax and be carried along by the water. See where the church gets in trouble is where the church tries to paddle in the lazy river of the Holy Spirit. When the church simply relaxes into the Holy Spirit and lets the Holy Spirit speak, then the Holy Spirit takes us where he wants us to go. It's not like we levitate off the ground and then we levitate somewhere else. It's in the daily interactions of our lives that are already there. The Holy Spirit gives us words to speak that we might not ordinarily come up with. Where do those words come from? They come from the Bible. So the more of the scripture that gets in here, the more the Holy Spirit has material to work with. Now the Holy Spirit can give you things to say to other people in their moments of need and in moments of celebration and opportunities for you to serve them. But the more of God's word gets into your mind and into your heart through the scripture, the more the Holy Spirit fills up that lazy river of your life. And the idea is not that we are to be lazy, but the idea is that we rest in the Holy Spirit and that he carries us along as we walk through our life every day. That's that concept of being carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know what's interesting about how the Holy Spirit works? You see a couple of words up on screen if you're listening. Uh, the one up top is, is ruach, 
which is the Old Testament version of spirit, and then the one down below is pneuma, which is the New Testament version of spirit. These are the words that are used in scripture to describe the Holy Spirit. When these words are used in the scripture, there's a qualifier in front of them for holy, set apart, a spirit that is set apart. But this word that's used for spirit literally means breath. The spirit of God is the breath of God. It's the same spirit that, remember when Adam was made, what did God do? He got down on his hands and knees in the dirt and mud, and he formed the first man out of mud in the ground, and then what did he do? He breathed into the, the person and came to life, and we know him as Adam in the stories, right? The breath of life that went into Adam is the same Holy Spirit that carries you and me on the lazy river of the Holy Spirit of life. It's the same one. It's the same Holy Spirit that's been around since the beginning. And the idea literally becomes like this. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture being God-breathed, useful for four major things. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, question for you. Whose righteousness? Whose? Yours and mine? Or God's? God's righteousness is given to us as a gift through Jesus. And when that happens, we are thoroughly equipped for every good work. So you see the purposes of God through the scripture lining themselves out through Jesus to make us wise for salvation, to help us know how it is we're saved in the first place. We're not saved by doing our own works, but by receiving the good news that Jesus did them. And then by following Jesus's example, literally following him as the Holy Spirit carries us along in life. It brings a whole new level of importance to the uses of scripture. But I would say this to you, and I think you would agree, people are not gonna use the Bible for correcting and teaching and an understanding of God's righteousness if they don't trust it, will they? If they don't trust what's written in the scripture, they're not going to open the book. They're not going to consult it when they're down or when they're praising or when they're happy or when they're sad. They're not going to open it and consult it and hear the word of God speaking to them if they don't trust it. That is why God made the story of scripture come to life in Jesus. He's literally called the word of God. He is the word. The word of God was with God in the beginning and was God in the beginning and remains to be God to this day. Jesus is God's word. He is the same word that is there in the Bible when we open it. When you read the Bible, you're going to find Jesus in it. Jesus is there from the beginning through the end of it, because the entire story is about him. It's about either that he is coming or that he has come or that he will come again. And the entirety of scripture backs up that one meta narrative, an overarching story through the entirety of scripture. The question becomes how trustworthy is that word of God. Mainly, 
when you see the Holy Spirit work in your life, the Holy Spirit works through the evidence of what he produces. You may not understand the workings of the Holy Spirit. I certainly don't. But what you see in the workings of the Holy Spirit are evidence in the same way as when the wind blows a dandelion and you don't see the wind blowing it. When you're dealing with the subject of the wind, you can't see wind, can you? But you can see what? What the wind carries. In the same way, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see evidence of what the Holy Spirit carries, which is what? You and me. That is God's evidence. When God talks about what will happen to the church, how people will lay themselves down, their agendas down, their hopes and dreams and futures to follow Jesus so that God's hopes and dreams and future will come true. The Bible says in that people will find themselves. That evidence of the Holy Spirit still happens today and it still plays itself out in business at home with our families in our relationships across all those different settings. I want to just give you some examples that will kind of build reliability for you as you go in yourself and find the prophecies of scripture as we've shared them here and see the evidence of them play out. The reliability of scripture in the business world and in at home with your family and in any other relationship in between can be testified to through some key scriptures in the Bible. Look at Luke chapter 6 and 31. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. The NLT says, New Living Translation. What do you call this scripture? What would you call it? It's got a na cultural name. What now? The golden rule, right? Do to others as you'd have them do to you or do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. How many, how many people quote this scripture who don't read the Bible? A lot. It's a cultural reality. And if you were to practice the idea of treating people the way you would want to be treated, how would your business run? Think about it. If you treated people the way you would want to be treated in your business, how would your customers like you? How would your clients like you? They would appreciate you and let you know, wouldn't they? If you serve them the way you wanted to be served. Look at uh, the idea of, of scripture talking and speaking into the family and family life. Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Notice God never says, don't be angry. He simply says, be angry because he knows you're human and you're going to get mad. When somebody dumps a cup of milk on the floor, you're not tempted to cry over spilt milk. You get mad because you're going to have to clean that up, right? But God says in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on that anger. Talk out the reasons why you're angry. And before you go to bed at night, don't let that issue stand between you. Deal with it in a civil, gentle, respectful way. Deal with it in a way that your anger doesn't build up inside you and cause you problems later. 
and then look at the idea of relationships in general from Romans chapter 12 and verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with who? Everyone. So there are little tidbits in the scripture that show you what to do with your life. But if you don't trust what's written in scripture, are you going to do what the Bible says? No. That is why God front loads our faith with trust. Think about that. It almost sounds like doublespeak because faith and trust are very similar, aren't they? If you have faith in someone, then you trust in them, don't you? God front loads our faith with trust. He gives us reasons, real, historical, documented reasons to trust him. He doesn't leave everything to raw faith. He gives us a basis on which to place our faith. The fact that he knows what's going to happen, predicts it, and it comes true. Look at this scripture from Psalm 62. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on who? On God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. What is a refuge? It is a place of safety, of healing, of security, of power when you feel powerless. And God gives you that in the word, his Bible, his son Jesus in print form. He gives you a reason to trust him through the science of prophecy. And then he shows you how he means to be reliable and trustworthy. He loves us and he carries us along through the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that is qualified, not just by blind luck, but because God is an intricate, calculated, and perfect being who shares his power and his love and his glory with you and me. Think about that. The next time you're tempted to solve life issues on your own or to find your own salvation. Think about the fact that you don't have to do that. That God has given us both of those things in the scriptures and then use them. Use them often because using them often means that you're spending time with the God who loves you. When you love somebody, you talk to them, don't you? You look them in the eye you listen to what they say. In the same way, let God love on you. Let him speak to you. Listen to him. And then respond as your heart is led in him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you're amazing. You've come here in a way that I can experience who you are. I don't have to dream about who you are or think about who you are. Or imagine who you are because I know you. Even if I just open up the gospel of John and just follow you around, you make yourself plain, clear, and known to me. God, I ask now that you come and that you be in our worship with us together and that you build trust in us so that we may know we can trust you and follow you.
all the days of our lives. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.